Hey, hey, Talking Joe fans, Mark here. Coming up is a very special Talking Joe episode. I'm joined by writer Paddy Lennon from the Total Action Force Kickstarter project to talk to Richard Starkings, the editor behind the Action Force Weekly comic from 1987, something very dear to my own personal childhood memories. We do a deep dive conversation with him all about the, how that came about and the Action Force comic from, from that time. This was originally recorded as a live stream, so there is some moderate uh, visual content that was shown on screen. However, a lot of that is just to trigger talking points with Richard, so uh, you're not missing out on too much by listening to the audio-only podcast. But if you do want to catch out the whole thing, uh, head on over to the Talking Joe YouTube channel. Remember, like and subscribe. So with that intro all done, I'll leave you to it. And here's the conversation with Richard. Here we go. Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey there, welcome to Talking Joe and a very special episode where we will be Talking to the legend that is Richard Starkings and specifically about his work on the Action Force comic, sort of to tie in with the timing of the Total Action Force Kickstarter. And joining me will also be the man, Paddy Lennon. Here he is. Hi, Mark. <laughs> Hi, Paddy. Good to have you uh, uh, on with us. So um, obviously you've got a big vested interest in all things Action Force at the moment, sort of really immersing yourself in it with, uh, with the book that you're writing. Uh, so I think who better to talk to about it all and find out more than uh, the man who, uh, who really was behind, uh, behind the comic when it, when it came out. Was it uh, 1987, wasn't it? Uh, not not yeah. what did I just say? Nine, yes, 1987. 1987 is right, yeah. Yes. So joining us today will be Richard Starkings, the British font designer, comic book letterer, editor, writer, and I'm sure many more things too. He was an editor at Marvel UK in the light in the late 1980s. Titles he edited included Death's Head, Dragon's Claws, but most importantly, and putting all the others you know, all the way to the bottom of our uh, interest pile <laughs> is the weekly Action Force comic from 1987. Um, and uh, for more context, in in the beginning of the 1990s, he ex uh, devoted himself to uh, the craft of lettering and especially being the uh, early pioneer of computer-based lettering, founding Comic Craft in 1992 and going on to uh, create his own comics, specifically the world of elephant men so he uh, is currently the uh, the ongoing creative force and writer behind uh, behind that book so here he is uh, welcome richard hi there i'm glad i'm live because that picture of me that you snagged from wikipedia <laughs> got to remember i was at a four-day show in new york wikipedia turns up and says can we take an official picture of you and i didn't realize that i was basically drained all energy i've got a, th a thin film of sweat across my forehead and uh i look like i'm just going to fall asleep in about two minutes so. <laughs> at least it's typical typical here. con appearance for any creator i think oh gosh so never they... let anybody take a picture of you 
at Comic-Con unless it's the first hour of day one. <laughs> um, and then and, and insist and even then and, mm. and even then yeah i went where's your makeup girls where's you know somebody groomed my beard i'm amazed that this is a thing that someone's come up and said hi i'm from wikipedia can yeah. i uh, take a photo, photo so, of you? you know they That's... they prefer to have wikipedia photographs on the site so that nobody can say you don't mm -hmm. have permission and i think i had to sign something and I wish I'd said, let me sign it after I see the photograph. <laughs> too late. I will have to appeal. But, but uh, there, there you go. Um, so shall we, we take our travel time machine back to the heady days of uh, 1987 uh, when the Action Force comic uh, was, was launching? I've, I've got uh, some illustrative content here. This is my Bound Action Force weekly Send me uh, one. I don't have any issues. <laughs> and I've got. Uh, I'll, I'll do a. I'll do a oh, solo fine. view here. Have I signed that? There we go. We got. Oh. Ta -ta 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 -ta. Look at that oh, distinctive, uh, distinctive Starkings lettering. You, I think you've got future in that, uh, along with some uh, some of the other Action Force collaborators' uh, signatures as as well. Well, actually, you know, on the wall behind you, you've got uh, the print by Ladrone of uh, elephant men and um he saw me signing some comics once and i was using my my bank signature you know my, <laughs> my autograph right and he, he said to me he's um he's from mexico originally he said richard richard the people <laughs> the people want to know who you are you must make your signature legible and, you know, here I am, a comic book letterer, and I, I, I saw the sense in that. And if you if you look at the print that you have, Mark, you yeah. can make out both our names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. And that's, that's, Starkings. Yeah, and, and Ladron. And Ladron with the very stylized O. Yeah, and he does not sign his checks like that. I can tell you that. So he taught me something which, you know, a lot of writers could take a uh, – a leaf out of that his book because you can't always read people's signatures. Kev Hopgood, you can read. <laughs> um, most writers, though, they just do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's like the iPad signature that we do now at the coffee shop. You just go. You know. Yeah, there's a, there's there's a few out there that I might name and shame. There's there's yes. Garth Ennis. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a short name as well. <laughs> yeah, come on, just just sign Garth and be done with it. Yeah, you know, everybody knows Don't who you are. I think Dougie Braithwaite needs to needs to practice his signature. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> that's that, that's one of the things where you you look at a book and say, "Okay, there's a signature in there. Who of these creatures have I actually who have I have I met?" <laughs> oh dear. So, um, but actually, while we're we're in the on the topic of uh, Ladron, I'll just uh, share this piece as as well so this is my uh ladron and i've got it as a here we go oh is it a commission it's an overlay this is a commission wow so painted uh I, I guess mostly uh sort of probably gouache i think it if, i think it might have been um uh, so that's the uh G, the the uh, very famous uh gi joe cover originally uh by mike zek wow that's um, great I, I have you to to thank for the inspiration of uh, reaching out to to Ladron because um yeah he, he's uh, an amazing amazing talent and uh, 
uh, sort of beyond knowing him for his work in on uh, Marvel's Cable, you know, uh, until I saw the work on on uh, Elephant Men, I had no idea what he was really, you know, capable of in in terms of you know just work that would completely blow my mind. And he's still working on the Hip Flask miniseries, so hopefully that'll be finished soon. Excellent. Yes, I very much uh, look forward to to that. Uh, that that happening and uh, rounding out that yeah hip flask work uh, so on yeah after a little bit of a detour nineteen eighty seven so yeah, very what, good year for music so what was uh, what was it what was it like uh, Marvel UK in nineteen eighty seven and what were what were you doing and and how did you sort of come into the the action force project so you know that's like three questions number one uh, Marvel was a lot of fun in in that era and i often refer to it as marvel college because I, I learned so much in a week when you're thrown in at the deep end there was no computers you know we were doing everything manually we were using well we were using computers but we, but that was the typographer's uh area of expertise and we would mark up copy you know i learned how to mark up copy how to cast off how to do all those things that we had to do back in the day uh, which I'd lied about in my interview and said that I could do. <laughs> um, so, you know, I had to learn the Reaper graphics machine. I had to learn paste up. We had one of those waxes that was basically hot wax that you fed your bromide through so that it was sticky on the back. And we did physical paste up. But um, I was working, I think I was still working on secret wars at the time and and you know i can't okay. always remember the timeline because um we were our, our office which was basically me simon Furman, mm -hmm. ian rimmer was our boss um john tomlinson was a designer working on captain britain um and other titles and who else was in our office that was sort of the core uh, when I started at Marvel and Ian had come from Fleetway where he had been editing Scream and he brought Simon with him. Simon was an assistant editor on Scream. So they had very real editorial experience. And I'm so glad mm. I ended up with them <laughs> because they they taught me a lot. John Tomlinson had been there a couple of three years before me. And he was a, a design graduate. I was an English graduate. I'd gone to a college doing e English and media studies, but I wanted to do both. You know, that's the sort of theme in my career. Um, I wanted to do design, but I also wanted to write the copy. So I was sort of, um, you know, often given free reign. You know, when I used to letter strips on Zoids, um, which was featured in Spider-Man at the time, Ian was the writer and editor of that. And when we did stuff for annuals, other writers stepped in and, and I would um, I would um, play with the words. <laughs> and I, I would say to Ian, when I brought the pages in in the morning, oh, um, I edited it a little bit. And Ian would say, <laughs> Ian would say, you rewrote it, didn't you? And, but we were working with very young uh, writers and artists and um ian was sort of familiar with the idea of the sub-editor you know so ian was an editor 
But at IPC, a sub-editor, which was what uh, Simon was, it was his job to knock things into shape. So I sort of mm -hmm. became a sub-editor on Zoids because Ian was the writer. And, and I would be given some freedom to, to rephrase things, especially if they didn't fit, because I was, I was lettering on the boards. And right. Simon was very generous in that regard, too, because I lettered hundreds of pages of Transformers written by Simon. So I had gained some editorial experience, thanks to Ian. And then one day um, I was invited into the managing director's office with Jenny O'Connor, who is the editor in chief. And they said, how do you feel about editing a book by yourself? And I said, I'd love to do that, thinking it was months in the future. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, and yeah, in the five-year plan, yeah. 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 <laughs> now, you know, we were sort of the, we were sort of comic snobs in our office, Simon, John, Ian, and I. And Ian didn't come necessarily as a comics fan, but Simon, John, and I were. We were fans of Marvel. That's why mm -hmm. we were at Marvel. So, um a lot of the editorial staff, the man, the uh, the editor in chief was Jenny O'Connor, and there was sort of like, oh, you're the boys, you're the you're the boys that that are nerds. That that term wasn't thrown around in those days. So Jenny wanted me to work directly for her, and I was offered Action Force, and I didn't realize that that the next day <laughs> I would move into Jenny's office. <laughs> it felt like it was the next day. I'm sure there was, maybe there was a little bit of um, uh, time, but but very sh shortly after that meeting, Ian came in and said, "Okay, team. While we are still a team, we're having a meeting." And that was when it was announced. And I didn't realize how everything was being rearranged editorially. Um, Ian handed me a folder after that meeting, which had all the Action Force material in it. And and then that day, I started um, thinking about who I was going to work with to write and draw it and, you know, pedal to the metal. I was editing Action Force. I wasn't doing work with the old team. I was in Jenny's office. And I think very I can't remember when Steve White came into the equation, but he was my assistant editor. And that was a great pairing because I love Steve. Steve was into everything military. You know, he's into dinosaurs much more than he's into G.I. Joe. Um, <laughs> but he knew guns. He knew uh, tanks. He, 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 he was one of those kids at school that just loved everything uh, of that nature, you know. So, um, so then I had to figure out um, who was going to write it, who was going to do covers, who was going to do the art. Um, and it was, I, I got along really well with Simon and still do. So he was my first go-to. Um, but I also wanted to have different writers mm -hmm. work on the series because you have to get ahead. And we were already behind. <laughs> um, but I was had a, actually... Go ahead. I was going to say there, there was an, an enormous roll call of, of writers and artists on You think on so? You have that impression. Well, <laughs> but, yes. <laughs> but good writers, 
very, very hard to find. Writers that understood the editorial process, even harder to find. You know, and this was the Alan Moore era. This was post-Warrior. Swamp Thing probably was coming out at that time. Frank Miller was writing Daredevil. We were all gobbling that stuff up. But but your writer inspired by Alan Moore is not necessarily your action force writer. You know, Simon understood editorial. Um, you know, so he understood, here's a toy. Make sure it's in the story somewhere. <laughs> you know, doing that for years. And, you know, I'm sure you've met or interviewed Simon. He's a very affable, um, easygoing mm-hmm. um personality you know he's he's not got a massive ego um he does the work he delivers it on time um he would often come in at nine o'clock in the morning with his sausage sandwich and he'd been writing all night we all ate the sausage sandwiches at marvel um there was a there was a lovely sandwich shop kitty corner to our office in redan place and uh, it was a it was a stop on the way in you make yourself a cup of tea because it was freezing and you had your sausage sandwich. Other sandwiches were available. Um, <laughs> but, um, Simon was was easy. We used to play squash uh, at the, I think there was a YMCA across the street and he and I used to play squash. And many editorial decisions would be made before or after squash. So, um, so Simon was up for it. Um, you know, we had an 11 page story in the first issue. And, you know, Kev wasn't uh, simply an available artist. Kev and I met in Leeds and we were working on a strip called Forest for Martin Locke for Harrier Publications. And when I moved down to London, when I got to Marvel, um, I, I, I don't know if Kev called me. I don't know what the situation was. I'm sure Kev used to come down for the Westminster Comic Mart, as I did. I I was living in London. I was already working in London before I got the job at Marvel. But when I got the job at Marvel, um, there was a room for let in the house I was living in in Wembley. And I called Kev and said, if you want to move down to London, there's a room right here. And so he moved down. He actually only stayed there one month but he because he was in a shoe closet, basically. Um, and I had the biggest room in the house. And, and so he moved his drawing table into my room and we would sit up until one o'clock at night. He would be drawing. I would be lettering. I was working on Transformers. He submitted a sample page through me to the mm. editor of Transformers, which was either Sheila or Ian at that time. And I loved his work. So I had recommended him for Zoids. Um, he he came into the office. He, I, I don't think he even did a sample page on Zoids. I think Ian had been keeping him in, in mind. We ran one episode of Forest as a backup in Mighty World of Marvel in like 85 or 86. Um, so it was sort of just a matter of time to get him onto Zoids. But then when I inherited action force i think i basically i think i may have stolen him from zoids I can't, <laughs> I can't remember um because i worked on zoids a long time i lettered pretty much every story um and as you can see here i also lettered action hmm. force initially but never work for yourself right so right. um so 
Kev, in my memory, Coils of the Serpent, is that issue six or seven? Uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it... we he did an 11-pager for the first issue. We, we were given a little bit more of a budget. And um, and he was perfect. I mean, look at that artwork. Yeah, I mean that mm-hmm. sort of. I deli- deliberately picked picked the page on the on the right because it's it's one of probably my favourite page out of everything in in the in the weekly. Um, it's you know it's incredible work and and uh, Kev's Kev's work in particularly in the uh, in the first few few stories is just sort of out of the gate. It's it's incredible, and I get I get the sneaking feeling that he might have had a little bit more time for some of the earlier scripts than possibly the later scripts just because it seemed like i don't think so i think oh right there's there's a story there too which kev would cop to um but (laughs) but he was definitely you know he's in his first two or three years he really wanted to work in comics he he was a fan um and as you can see he understands anatomy he understands architecture um who inked this is it dave hein Ooh, I don't know off the top of my head. I can't remember Flip when I... You're... Was it Dave Hine? I'll, I'll see if I can find it while you're... He may have actually been inking his own pencils at this point uh, because it was... Yeah, a... I've a feel... uh, Dave Harwood. Dave Harwood, who also came from Harrier Comics. He, he drew, penciled and inked... Um, uh hms conqueror i think was a strip that he was working on and another creator that would come to the westminster arms where lots of business deals were made when lots of conversations about the availability you know we needed inkers i wanted to recreate the american system of pencils Mm -hmm. letters colors because it was fast you know Mm -hmm. we've been working at that point with a lot of artists who ink their own pencils and um Around this time, Tom DeFalco had visited and, you know, pushed for that sort of system, you know, understood it. We wanted to impress Tom. Uh, Jim Shooter had been over. Uh, Artists weren't fast enough. You know, Simon had many experiences of artists delivering work late. I remember Mm -hmm. one time him uh, dissolving into a pool of sweat because one of the artists had on Transformers had been detained, I think, at, at the airport in Paris. He was an American artist. He'll know who he is. Simon will know who he is. And um, <laughs> that stress on a weekly you, you had to deliver. Yeah. There was no not delivering. This is where I got my work ethic from. When you have to mm-hmm. produce uh, comics every week, of course we use reprints. Because the pressure was off the scale. So you wanted to be weeks ahead. We used to mail Mm. pencil pages to the letterer. They would mail them back to us. We would then mail them to the inker. Because you always want copies because we had photocopiers. Um, And Kev was local. You know, we, we used a lot of local London artists because they could come in, drop off pages, pick up script and go out again and stay around for a drink in the pub. <laughs> so, um, you know, comic Westminster Comic Mart and the Redan pub uh, was, were key <laughs> in comics in the, those days when we were in Bayswater. So, um, so Kev uh, was an easy pick for me. 
you know, and that's the thing when you're young and you haven't had much experience, you want to work with people of your own, um, your own age, your own, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, the, you're, you're reading the same comics, you're exposed to the same comics. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was about being part of that um, group of writers and artists. It wasn't really, you know, there, there weren't that many people available. You know, there was also a brain drain uh, uh, from Marvel UK to 2000 AD because we were regarded as a stepping stone and 2000 AD paid better uh, mm. by and large, you know. So, and and always, you know, it's a buyer's market. So younger artists will work for lower page rates. Um, and it was very difficult to, to raise those page rates because management would often say, find a cheaper artist. And that still happens today. That's why you have a lot of artists at Marvel and DC who work from overseas where the value of the dollar is greater. The same was <laughs> true, you know, in England that, you know, people wanted to get a, to get a break. Kev was one of them. He went to work on Night Zero, Beyond Zero, um, for 2000 AD, you know, okay. after a short, you know, maybe two, three years with us, then on to 2000 AD, Barry Kitson, um, a lot of artists. So there was a there was a definite pool of talent, but most of them wanted to work for 2000 AD, still true today. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to constantly develop new talent. Um, and I'm trying to think who else drew in those first 20 issues, but yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll add my, I'll add my list back into the, well, actually I'm glad you talk about... go back to those two covers, the first two covers. And you were talking, you were talking about how long you had as well, sort of before, you know, I can't remember. Uh, once I being remember. given I was, that folder. I, was, I hit the ground running and, uh, we all love Jeff senior. Um, and Jeff was, you know, my first pick for cover artist. And thank goodness he said yes, because his stuff is so full of energy, mm. you know, and um, that cover, of course, I wanted to look like a blister pack. I wanted it to look right, of course, like mm-hmm. your. Yeah, 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 yeah. Background. Background. Yeah. Um, and you, you can't do that for every issue. And that's when we were still working with the Action Force Transparency which is supplied by Hasbro. And and we hated working with transparencies because you had to work so hard to distinguish one issue from another when you've only got the top third of the um, cover visible at Smith's, right? You know, so changing the color was a way of working with covers. And to answer, you know, one of your questions that you sent me ahead of time, yes, I did design uh most of the covers um you know we really had to hit the audience hard and you know i this was a learning experience for me how to make covers interesting one of the things i i learned as is visible here groups of three work better than groups of four or more because the other characters frame the central character, you know, uh, Trench is the central character on that first issue. These were the characters we were given by Hasbro. We did, we could not 
choose from the entire range. We we had to go with the ones that were being launched. Yeah. In yeah, England. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, when I looked at all the reprint material, th that reprint material didn't focus on our characters till later in the day. Yeah. Um, so I wanted the five lead characters that we were asked to work with on the first two covers. And that meant that what was in their stories was dictated by the cover choices that I probably already made. I probably said to Simon, okay, these are the three characters in the first story. Now I will say, and Simon knows that, that this pissed me off. I would have liked <laughs> that first story, which is 11 pages. I would have liked them to be in costume, but Simon oh, had yeah. undercover. Yeah. That first story is called Gunboat and they're undercover. Yeah. And I'm like, Simon, what are you doing to me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and looking back, I would have said, rewrite it. But I guarantee you, I didn't have the time or mm. the wisdom yeah. or the experience. I should have said to him out of the gate, every single page, they should be in, in costume. Um, luckily, we had that cover, which yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I owned that until the 90s. I think I sold that in the 90s. I think I had those two first covers. I think I probably gave a tenner to uh, to Jeff, tenner each, not two for a tenner. But those days, artists would make ridiculous deals, and, and we didn't know the value of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, my, heart actually, my, my heart actually broke there, Richard. Right. <laughs> Old long ago, and they were beautiful pieces because he painted them. You yeah. know, no no computer wizardry back in those days. So, um, you know, I was learning about how to make covers, how to make them interesting, how to make them engaging, and how to differentiate a, a single issue from another issue and create that sense of excitement. Um, and and choosing Jaffa covers was was sort of a no brainer because, you know, they just they're bouncing off the cover there. You know, and there's a lot of tension in Snake Eyes and the the Cobra agent there. You know, so um, so that's the story behind those two covers. We eventually got to use the outline version of the logo, so we could change some elements. I don't know. It was very fixed. Not my favorite right. logo to work with. Um, very so while we took, uh, I was, I was uh, I'll let you finish, but I was going to say well, well. Um... Well, you're talking about sort of designing the covers that sort of a lot of people, when they actually meet you and they ask you to sign something that actually I'll do go full screen. I sign on the white, right? On me. Uh, you, you might do something like, yeah, like this. And it's yeah. like a writer doing a drawing. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting better. But, you know, every writer is a frustrated artist because artists are so frustrating. <laughs> you know you just wish you could draw it the way you see it in your head and you wish they were john byrne you wish they were frank bellamy you wish you know they were mike zek um but, but having said that the artists i got to work with um on action force were great you know mike collins was both a writer and an artist yeah. and and he he wrote like issue five four and five five and six something like that um, and, and they all brought in different, you know, ways of telling a story, you know, which again, you want to work with people, you know, you create a sense of competition, 
That's that's the advantage of working with different teams. Um, you do have more control as an editor when you work with. Uh, there's Mike. Now that's that's a story behind that cover too. So uh, we knew very early on that all you had to do was put snake eyes on a cover, <laughs> and, and that issue would outsell any others. Um, yeah. so, so I said to Mike, I just want this. This was a reprint of an annual, I think, or a single issue. Uh, it was a, a reprint of a full single issue. Yeah. I think it, it, it might be yeah. issue 31 or something. Yeah. And, um, I, I said, just do a full figure of snake eyes and this will sell itself. Um, we learned, you learn very quickly working in comics for the sort of eight to 12 age group that they will slavishly copy any figure that has all its limbs, uh, hands, <laughs> head, and, and toes. That cover alone, probably 20 kids sent in copies of that drawing. It's, it's what children look for, and it's what we look for as adults. You know, it's very dissatisfying when you only get close-ups, and, and that Destro splash page um he's full figure in on that splash page if i remember correctly um uh, i think so yeah 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 um but that's sort of storytelling 101 you know always show a character full figure uh jim used to, shooter used to say how do we know he's not wearing roller skates you know <laughs> but more importantly how do we know that the children will copy this picture if you don't show the full figure and if you sort of throw your mind back to the drawings you, you copied slavishly out of comics yourselves, probably it was a full figure drawing. I am. Um, I actually I am guilty of uh, tracing this cover as a child. Yeah, so. tracing, <laughs> tracing them, copying them. It doesn't matter. That's what I used to do. You know, if you look at people, you know, if you look at Dave Gibbons artwork when he was a kid, it's it's Batman. You know, it's all the characters that they loved. They did the same mm -hmm. thing. We, we do the same thing. It's 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 a very natural reaction to something that you love to draw it to copy it to trace it you know yes i traced so many superheroes from uh from the foom calendar or something like that i remember a foom drawing of hulk and iron man that i slavishly copied so so that's part you know that's kind of part of the um the editorial approach when you're aiming at young uh younger readers you know, can can you do a done in one story? Can you can you make it about key characters? Um, and because we only had five pages a week, often we would focus in on one or two characters. And there's the solid non-transparency logo there. You know, the, the black really helps you read Action Force. And maybe we change the color of the star. I don't know. Um, but that Destro down and out, if I remember correctly, that's Mike's pencils with brian hitch's inks yeah yeah and brian was a very young artist that i you know uh discovered uh steve parkhouse sent him to me steve parkhouse is a writer and artist who's been around the block um and and there's there's a story behind that one too this is isn't this the prologue to silent running uh, yeah, yeah silent, the silent interlude, interlude. Yeah. silent interlude i always call it silent running um so we realized we couldn't run a silent issue. You can't do that in a in a, uh, a British weekly that's aimed at eight to 12 year olds. So, um, but we had to run it 
you know, the backstory to that is when I became the editor, I took home 70 issues of G.I. Joe over the weekend and read them all in two days, <laughs> um, thinking this is going to be crap. Um, <laughs> and, and then realizing that they were terrific because Larry Hammer was the driving force. And the moment I read Silent Interlude, I was like, we have to use this because it's got Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow in it. The two most popular mm -hmm. characters. There's mm -hmm. a reason why they they feature so large in the movies, right? Because they're intriguing because Snake Eyes doesn't talk. Are they brothers? What's going on? They seem very similar. They don't talk. So we, I remember we we debated that. I, I don't know where or when, but um, I came up with the idea of a prologue and an epilogue. And I gave that issue to John Tomlinson, who was writing under the name Steve Allen. Um, uh -huh. Because at the time, you know, we felt that if you were named Steve or Alan, you'd be successful in comics. So he put the two together. I then became Richard Allen because Alan is my middle name. And um, Mike Collins became Ford Allen. There was a whole in-house joke. Uh, but those guys <laughs> do not exist. Um, but again, you wanted to work with people in editorial. Uh, I wanted to work with John because he understood. You know, he understood the the brief and the brief was i want a sequence with some words um, <laughs> before and after and I, I think they were called truth and consequences um yeah. and uh, brian was sort of uh uh on the up and coming he had actually drawn dan abnett's first script it was a it was just a character piece about one character and it was Dan's first commission and it was Brian's first art, but we didn't use that till later. That's my memory. Okay. Okay. Um, and again, it gave me the excuse to put storm shadow and snake eyes on a cover. Although that might not be the cover for, for silent interlude. I can't remember. We put snake eyes and storm shadow on a lot of covers, <laughs> you know, um, because you know, we only lasted 50 issues. That's only a year. Yeah. You know, um, and we were hoping, oh, scroll back. That'll give me a, a little bit of a, a prompt. Yeah, that poster image on issue three, that was mm -hmm. uh, that was a great image. There were some great covers there. Look at that. So there, there you go. The three, the three characters, then the one character, close-up, often works well. Um, then we used a reprint on Dogfight. Yeah. Then you've got two characters on a cover. And, and again, you know, I was very conscious of making the colors different on every cover mm -hmm. so that they looked distinct. Because my, my thing about my, my memory of comics is I can remember what was on the cover. If you can do a memorable cover, then you sort of emotionally connect the reader to the issue, yeah. you know. You talk sure. about a story and you and you ask your friend, what was on the cover? Oh, yeah, I remember that one. You know, Daredevil pointing his gun at you on No More Mr. Nice Guy. Um, and that was definitely an influence on issue three, where he's pointing his finger at you because we cannot point a gun at an 8 to 12-year-old. Right, right, right. So the gun is there, right? Although, although later on you did with the with one of the Crimson Guard covers. Yep. Uh, this one. But, but they are shooting oh, no, slightly the... 
This one, yeah, 28. This one there, 28, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I wrote that story with Mike Collins. I went to stay with Mike in Cardiff one weekend. And we had just seen Platoon, you know, and we were all in up inside our social consciousnesses. And I was in the pub with Kev, um, Kev Hopgood, and we were talking, and Dave Hine, I think, was there. And I remember us talking about Platoon because we'd been to see it and we were like sort of horrified that we were doing this comic that glorified war. <laughs> and, you know, Hasbro was not happy with me that I did this kind of uh, story where a Crimson Guard is sort of full of regret. Um, in, in rural England, as Crimson Guardsman's cover is blown, you know, and Hasbro basically said to me, why didn't Action Force jump through the window and kill him? <laughs> and, and it's well because haven't you seen platoon you know um so in reaction to that i wrote a two-part story called violent lives where yep. lady jay gets shot uh there it is ha you have to do the george perez superman cover at some point of course yeah wow mm -hmm. unfortunately and and i know steve white separated that it's very difficult to do fire when there's no flames there so so that's a separated cover where Steve White has done these little dots to indicate uh, flame. But I just thought, right, I'm going to write the most violent two-part story. <laughs> then, you know, this is in the era of Frank Miller when, um, you know, there was a lot of violence in Daredevil. Uh, Matt Murdock would, be get, would, would have bruises on his face after a fight with Bullseye. Um, and Bullseye Kills Electra. So this was the Frank Miller issue, which actually I've recently pastiched in Elephant Men. Um, there's actually a whole sequence that is based on the sequence when Trench kicks in the door. And, uh -huh. um, what was his headquarters called? Where did Destro operate? Oh, yes, Flint Sing kicks it. in the head, uh, the door to Mars. To Mars. Yeah. Is, it, is it Flint? Oh, yeah. It's Flint with the yeah. yeah. Trent was the kind of the yeah. the more bureaucratic yeah, the boss. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm calling him Trench actually because my zebra character is called Trench. Flint had a trench gun. That's where yeah. my old man brain is kicking in. Um, so I did this whole sequence where he nearly kills Destro and Destro says, if I was in your position, I'd have pulled the trigger. Um, and that's one of my favorite things that I wrote because I was just so angry with Hasbro. I was like, okay, <laughs> if, if you want violence, I'm going to call this. The story was originally called violence. Um, and then I changed it to violent lives to tie in with the, the narrative. But um, that's what they wanted. They were, they loved it. So I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of the, few ones i don't know if i wrote more than three stories um yeah i was i was flicking through this this morning it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a a huge once i'd figured out that you were richard allen <laughs> or and a bit of ford allen um yeah there was i think the the biggest storyline was i think that that one that we were just talking about and what i i flicked through the action force monthly as well the european missions one and i it looked like um Richard Allen was Steve. I wrote one with Steve, I think. And oftentimes, um, you know, if the editor's writing, uh, it's because the, the either writers aren't available or the editor knows what needs to be written for that issue and, and, mm -hmm. and quickly 
I used to go in at seven in the morning to do any writing I would do. I wrote some Zoids. I wrote some Ghostbusters. I wrote some Action Force. And I would just get it done as part of my working day, you know, when no one was <laughs> around. Because it was quicker that way, you know. And, yes, I got some extra pocket money. Um, but sometimes working with a writer that just doesn't understand the editorial imperative of splash pages, action, and toys, you know. Um, yeah, so which one did I write? I can't remember. Uh, it looked like it was uh, issue 1, 4, 12, and 13. Oh, wow. So it was the uh, Dougie Braithwaite, Dougie Braithwaite double bluff uh, story. It was called uh, Plot. I have no uh, recollection. For- Actually, am I getting that mix? Uh, that's Ford Allen, so that might have been Mike Mike that's Collins, Mike, yeah. possibly. Uh, okay. So, you know the the thing about Action Force Monthly. So, I think I was go- moved on to Ghostbusters, and Steve became editor of the Action Force Monthly, and I was basically being asked to train Steve. That's my recollection, and Steve was definitely ready to edit. Okay, but it's, often, cre- often it's like- credited to um, John Tomlinson as editor for the for the monthly oh right okay yeah john but did did steve not take over later uh i don't maybe steve and i were writing issues yeah he's yeah he's got some writing credits i think yeah and you know we were very keen to break into the monthly market i doubt whether uh marvel us would be very supportive of this uh but we it was called European Missions. You don't, you don't have any of yeah. the European, you know, we, we had to do two cover setups yeah. because the idea was to sell it in. But but if I was editor of G.I. Joe or if I was the writer of G.I. Joe, I would not take kindly to Brits featuring um, Snake Eyes so prominently because you you really want to you know you cherish your development of the characters so yeah yeah yeah. um i think some of these issues were published after i left marvel um okay but i was definitely working on ghost i think ghostbusters and then i and i was working on dragon's claws and death's head again i'm I'm not sure of the timeline it's a very short one it's only four years but it's a long time ago um but um you can actually see there that you know having to feature certain toys, the yeah, hovercraft sure. and the 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 vehicle in the ice there. Or um, yeah, yeah. We still Snowcat, had to yeah. we still had to push forward. Was there more than ten issues? Keep going. I can't. I don't oh, there was a total of fifteen for the, for this. Yeah. yeah. So just another yeah. year. It survived another year. Um, it was not the success that Transformers was. That was what hurt Action Force. And we were competing with more traditional um, comic titles like um, Battle and, you know, the Commando, the War Library, all those. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that has a very fiercely loyal market. Um, Hasbro wanted us to reproduce the set success of Transformers and Battle Action Force was neither one or the other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Did did you look back at um, Battle Action Force before you started on the, the Marvel I think Action I Force? I picked up one issue mm-hmm. and, and was like, wow, this looks like it was made in 1968. Because <laughs> um, they were still using that paper. Yeah, you know, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We had, we had the glossy, sexy Marvel weeklies look. 
um, yeah. full color, yeah, full, full color, yeah, and and the, and that's the beginning of the days of, you know, the seventies. You had Countdown and Looking, which had many different franchises, and then you know, Deskin pioneered the devoted franchise comic with Doctor Who, and then later Blake Seven. So in the eighties, the toy manufacturers were taking the lead. Because they owned the properties, they owned Transformers, they owned Action Force, they owned Care Bears, they owned these toy properties that they wanted the comics to promote. So they didn't want to be pushed to the back of an anthology. Mm. They wanted to be center stage. And that's what we offered. And, you know, Robert Sutherland, who was managing director, was super smart. You know, I mean, Thomas the Tank Engine is still going. It started at Marvel, and then he took it with them with him and created Redan Comics. And I've seen Thomas Tank Engine in on newsstands in the states. That book just prints money because <laughs> Thomas is one of those classic characters, like Winnie the Pooh, you know. And uh, you know, he he had a a good nose for franchises. He he, he was also. He understood that that the fans at Marvel needed to work on American style comics, so he he tried. Um, but oftentimes, Marvel US was suspicious of us, and even Doctor Who barely made the transition to the states. You know, and in fact, I'm glad it failed because that meant Doctor Who magazine could continue as it was, and didn't become you know, a vehicle to present comic material for the U.S. to reprint, you know, which the Marvel premiere issues of, of, of Doctor Who didn't do very well. Otherwise, there would have been a lot more of them. Um, and so, do you think the, the sort of the ending of the, the Action Force Weekly and moving it into the monthly and, and the equivalent European missions, was, was that... Uh, was that kind of driven by the the desire to make it closer to the American books and to you know shrink the, the... never close no no <laughs> okay. always time and money right so you know I I recognize the need to create the comic book that the license saw wanted you know you want your comic to be successful you you you're given a project i'm i'm 24 25 when i'm i'm editing this and and i'm just excited to be able to commission writers and artists and keep my friends bring my friends <laughs> you know, give them a career which was you know yeah. that was you want to be working with people that you admire and you you want them to get the opportunities but you don't want them to go and work for 2000 AD not when you work for <laughs> and they all did they all left us behind stay you know, stay at my level don't go up to the higher pay jobs <laughs> well there you go you see you're buying into that what is the level anyway you guys are all fans of action force right so that was your thing and I used to say to Simon when when artists that worked on Transformers went to work for 2000 AD, like Barry Kitson, um, I said, one day fans will come to you and they'll have you up there where, where all of my contemporaries had 2000 AD up there. 
right? Everything, any, anybody that is, when you're exposed to something between the ages of eight and 12, those are the key, key years. You emotionally imprint yeah. on that toy, on that comic book. It doesn't matter if it's Thundercats, which was one of the hardest um, franchises to work on because it was such a limited story. There was Momra and there was Lion Owen. How do you get them into trouble? The, <laughs> they, um, how do you generate conflict? You know, and that didn't last very long, Thundercats, as a cartoon show or as a, a, a weekly. And I remember working on that as an editor and being really frustrated. How do you find the stories in that? G.I. Joe is easy. You know, Cobra, G.I. It's a great, it's it's Star Wars. It's the same setup as Star Wars. Wars are easy. <laughs> There's always, <laughs> you know, and a lot of that has trickled into Elephant Men because I have the war story as a backstory to the Elephant Men. And I can mm -hmm. tell you, you know, I, I've been writing Elephant Men for 120 issues. That's not an easy task. I'm so in awe of anybody that can do it for longer, like Chris Claremont and the X-Men. Coming up with new situations, not repeating yourself. Um, so it's great that you have now introduced these characters. Now bring this thing in, you know, and it's all about where you weave the soap opera in. Um, but you can't control the love that people have for 2000 AD. But what you do have now, I remember Jay Lee um, who's a very well thought of American comic book artist. He probably, is he born in America? I'm sure he doesn't mind being called an American comic book artist. Um, massive fan of Transformers. You know, all these guys that grew up in the 90s, you know, um, were exposed to whatever they were exposed to. I was exposed he to Doctor Who. <laughs> he I Jay Lee worked on the Transformers versus G.I. Joe uh, series that was yeah, set right. yeah. willingly In, uh, yes <laughs> willingly yeah. he, he yeah. didn't want to walk on, on judge dread he's like why do you why do you brits all love judge dread because that was one of the things that i connected to in my teens you know so that's the thing is that it's all emotional there isn't a higher or a lower level mm -hmm. there's only emotion and your connection so, you know, you can't convince somebody who loves Thundercats and is now 55 or 45 or whatever age group that, that fits yeah. that. You can't convince them um, that, that one is better than the other because, because they still have their toys in the cupboard, you know, at home. And, and if they see a brand new uh, Lion-O in packaging or if they see, you know, a... Um, a Lady J character. I, I actually, there's a, there's, they've just released a, they haven't released it yet, but there's a four pack of all the characters I worked on. Uh, and it cost me $220. I paid the money. They haven't turned up yet, but I was like, well, those are the four characters I worked on, you know, and I have a little bit of a fondness for GI Joe in that small window of 1987 when I edited the comic. So yeah, um, this, uh, this little window of uh, of of characters, the nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, there you go, Lady Jane. <laughs> sort of Footloose. I think yeah. Footloose is the, the Dan Abnett Brian Hitch comic. Is, does he have glasses? Who's the character with glasses? Dusty. Uh, Maybe it's Dusty. Who wears glasses? Not sure. 
Shipwreck. Yeah, we did a story with Shipwreck. He's basically looks yeah, like you did Shipwreck. Action. Yeah, he's old action man. Yeah, all of he's this, the all of these guys with the little hat, <laughs> the blue shirt. I had an action man like that. I remember thinking, oh, that's action man. Yeah, Crimson Guard. So we had to yeah. feature all the Quick Kick and Quick yeah, Kick. Of pretty course, much. Uh, quick Kick allowed me to reprint Master of Kung Fu in the back of Action Force. Because it was kind yeah, of so so was that mm-hmm. <laughs> was was that a combination of of again like sort of you know it's soaking up content and here's some some content and and also that just that you loved Master of Kung Fu. Yes, absolutely. And um, you know, I loved particularly the Paul Gullacy issues. I loved the Jim Stalin issues, but he was only around for three or four issues. Um you know, and here's a Kung Fu character that we had to feature in the strip. And actually, there was a little uh, quick kick prologue. Yeah. Uh, for for but, Shang-Chi, yes. Yeah. Introducing Shang-Chi as somebody quick kick knows, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that was Grant from. Morrison. So Grant Morrison right? writing it, yeah. So that's how I, I put... Originally, Kev Hopkins was supposed to draw that prologue uh, and he was a big Shang-Chi fan but he couldn't fit it in his schedule so that's when um, I got Steve Yole, um who'd been working on Thundercats I can't remember the timeline so I don't know whether it's overlap or um, but um, Steve was somebody that uh, that we'd discovered um, in other words who, who submitted some samples that were really good um, and you can see here I mean you know he's he's he was as good then as he is today. He's he's maintained a high yeah, standard really throughout good. his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, what happened to Steve? He got stolen by Grant, uh, <laughs> who had been writing Zoid <laughs> as well. Um, and Grant was sort of, um, you know, we were very lucky to have Grant for as long as we did. And he was writing in the Alan Moore style. In fact, we would be reading Swamp Thing um in the office and then three weeks later grant would turn in a script very much influenced by that issue of swamp thing we just read. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm thinking in particular of an issue uh my blue world or my blue heaven which was a swamp thing issue that was all in blues and then grant had blue zoid red zoid color schemes that you know one page would be colored in blues one in reds something like that um, but that was fine because Grant was influenced by Alan Moore, but 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 he didn't sacrifice the characters of the story. You know, he told he was influenced by that style of storytelling, but he was just using it mm-hmm. you know, and, and making mm-hmm. the stories a little bit more. He gave them a lot of substance. And um, it's a shame that we didn't continue with Zoids Monthly because um grant and steve were on a high that then moved over to um zenith so they went from zoids to zenith uh action force you know as a sort of springboard um but um yes you know there's only so much stuff you can put in the back we couldn't run all the gi joe material because we were trying to do what we did with transformers which was to thread it in so that yeah. British readers 
didn't think, why are they talking? Why? Who are these characters? And why doesn't this relate to the last issue? We threaded. And that's something Simon taught me on Transformers. He threaded everything in so that it, you know, you can't change the way the US editorial team are telling the stories. So you retrofit your British material to dovetail mm-hmm. into them. So um, Simon was a master at doing that, you know, and um, that's why I did the whole prologue sequence for Master of Kung Fu so that people reading G.I. Joe would say, oh, what? Well, this is another, there's a bonus quick quick story. Quick <laughs> quick. Um, and who's this guy, Master of Kung Fu? I'm going to read this as well. This is related to the Action Force universe. And, and that was what, as editorial, we, we tried to be clever in the way we connected the Marvel universe to the G.I. Joe or Transformers universe because we were fans and, and we were fans of that encompassing, you know, multiverse of madness, right? You know, um, in my mind, Doctor Who took place in the same universe as Dragon's Claws. So I made it happen. (laughs) And a a lot of Doctor Who fans do not like the fact that the Sleeves Brothers appeared in Doctor Who. (laughs) Um, They even got on the cover. uh, but, But I knew as a fan what a thrill it is when you see that they're part of the same world. So, um, and that material. I know, I, uh, I, I know when Death's Head showed up in an Iron Man comic a few years ago, it was probably one of the highlights of my life. <laughs> oh, in the new material, you mean? It, yeah, it, 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 uh, was it about four or five years ago, he showed up in, a, in an issue of Iron Man, and I was like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah, because it, it, it validates your childhood. Exactly, exactly. I know him. (laughs) And I was very lucky. I went to visit Marvel US and Tom DeFalco said to me, right, um, I'm going to send you to uh, see a Broadway play. Who would you like to go with you? (laughs) And I said, and and I think he gave me a list of choices. And I said, Walt Simonson and and Louise uh, Jones, Louise Simonson. So we went to see a uh, play with Judd Hirsch in it. I can't remember what it was called. I think Cleveland Little was in it with him, about two homeless people in the park or something like that. But key was I got to know Walt, and I asked him to do a cover for Death's Head um, because we were doing a crossover with Fantastic Four, and it had not at that point being announced. And I don't know if it even influenced Ralph Macchio to hire Walt because we had Death's Head holding the thing over the edge of the Baxter building on the cover. And that was his first Fantastic Four work. Um, And he really liked drawing the character. So then Death's Head appeared in Fantastic Four as part of the TVA. Time Variance Authority, for those of you who haven't seen this. So, you know, that that was part of the fun. Um, and especially Simon loved being part of that. And we we used the master's uh, matter compression eliminator to shrink death's head down to size for Transformers. And I know I'm going off topic, <laughs> uh, but um, 
but you know, but the fact that you all know this, these characters is because we successfully connected everything. We did mm -hmm. an action force transformers crossover. And mm -hmm. again, you know, Simon wrote that because who else knew all the characters. And I think Jeff senior drew that, um, because, because it's so hard to get an artist that can draw humans and Autobots. Um, mm. So we, <laughs> we like to have fun. And I'm sure we initiated that crossover, even though the US had already done one. Um, it's a no-brainer when Hasbro owns both properties. Um, so, you know, we were in comics to have fun, but we also had to check all the boxes. Yeah. You know? Um, <clears throat> you know, and... Um, I, I I really enjoyed that whole year of my life because I learned so much so quickly. And actually, I got Jerry Paris in to do the last issue because um, I wanted another cover that had the Blister Pack artwork style on it. So issue 50, was it issue 50 that we finished yeah, that's on? that's right. Mm -hmm. You know, Jerry did this. Jer Jerry was just a phenomenal artist he, he'd done transformers number one cover art um and i think he's recreated it yeah there you go um and it looks nice with your background around it too like the first issue um you know being able to work with artists of this caliber young artists um was just a treat you know dougie was 15 when he did his first work for marvel uk and I'm still good friends with Dougie to this day. Uh, that might be it. That might be his first work. He His first published work, I want to say, was something else like Thundercats. Um, but, you know, another artist who uh, Dave Gibbons gave me the, the nod because uh, he'd seen Dougie's work at a convention. And um, I was talking to Dave about something. We were probably trying to get him to do a cover for something. And he said, Gibbons pick Dougie Braithwaite, <laughs> you know, and when somebody of Dave's stature tells you to work with someone, you, you get their phone number real quick. Um, yeah. And, and Dougie, you know, just, I think he had done, I gave him a sample script and what he turned in was better than the one we published. Um, <laughs> you know, so um, I'm trying to think who else. Yeah. I mean, just, you think we had a roster of artists, but we were always scrambling. Uh, Anthony Williams came in mm -hmm. on Action Force quite early on when Kev was moving on to 2000 AD. And to go back to Kev, Kev had to do five pages in a night <laughs> one time. And he came in, he did not sleep. He did them all. All I remember, there were horses in it. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> and and he thought he was going to get fired. It's not that one. Um, no, 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 no. They're just that's no. he's got his name on it. That I can see that there's not a horse burning on all cylinders. Um, but but I remember him saying to me that that was a turning point. That he could he could turn in five pages of artwork that were that he felt he'd sort of cut too many corners. Let me put it that way. Um, and he said to me that after that five pager, he realized he didn't have to work so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say that, you know, that's a very, a lot of artists have to learn how to do things quickly. And I don't think Kev's artwork, the quality of his artwork didn't drop. 
you know, but he realized that sometimes he was killing himself on a page when he didn't have to, you know. Um, and I think he did night, whatever it was called, night zero, beyond zero. Um, he inked that himself. And most artists want to ink their own work. And you can do that at 2000 AD because they pay you better. Right. And 2000 AD was always about artists that penciled and inked their own work. I think some art teams gravitated yeah, yeah, yeah. to 2000 AD and continued to work with inkers that we'd paired them up with. Um, but Mike Collins and Mark Farmer were actually put together by 2000 AD. And they came to us as a sort of fait accompli. Um, and Mark Farmer did a, he penciled Andrew, a two-part Storm Shadow Snake Eye story. That's right, yeah. yeah. And, and that was because yeah. Alan Davis was encouraging him to, to, to draw. Uh, but I think that was the beginning and end of Mark's penciling career because, you know, he was he's such a good inker <laughs> and he could make money, more money inking. And he started working in America long before, uh, you know, the other members of our teams. Uh, the the other person that I've done a slide for that. I'll just go back to this one. Actually, we didn't show it on the screen when we were talking about oh, look Jeff, at that, cover. that was beautiful. How how brilliant is that? That that was a wraparound uh, cover, and he's you know just making a, a tank kind of leap in the air, but you know, completely selling it. <laughs> well, but because a, a tank will jump in the air if there's an explosion behind it. I mean, you know, Jeff thinks things through, and look at the energy of lady J. look at the you know no no one else can draw that way because nobody stands that way <laughs> flint does not stand that way you know look at the energy in those you yeah, know, yeah energy is the word when you think yeah. of when you when you think of his uh his his art for sure and uh that the one on the left was a great strip um and i think that was one where uh, Fast food, a that's a simon title a character gung ho was uh was sliced by um storm shadow to give him a, him a an injury so that when you then uh, in the next issue had um the gi joe reprint, reprint. with gung ho in the hospital with a bandage it sort of connects that that you've yep. got kind of a different origin for his uh, his injury yep. but uh, it's still yeah. still it's still flowing it's a multi <laughs> but you know so, simon would always do things like this so Early on, I said he was a big jam fan, you know, the band. And uh, there's the song, you know, um, there's an H-bomb in Wardour Street. And I said, make a story based on that, thinking that there would be a nuclear bomb in the center of London. And he has it in a baby. It's a it's a baby because he wanted he had that title, <laughs> holding the baby. And he, he turned it into there's it was an A-bomb in Wardour Street. He said, there's a bomb. It's like no Simon. It's supposed to be an a. It's supposed to be an atom bomb. It's action force. Um, but and I think Simon always enjoyed outsmarting me. Thank you very much. There's a bomb, not an a bomb. <laughs> so you know that Simon sort of bringing me down to size, um, maybe because it's a more manageable storyline. Um, yeah. Uh, I may have got in trouble about that one. Richard, you can't <laughs> suggest that they're going to blow up a baby. <laughs> um, but um, Fast Feud, that's a typical Simon title. 
I wanted, you know, death to Cobra. You know, I, I wanted titles that were lurid, like the comics that I read growing mm -hmm. up, like Doctor Who story titles. Something of the something. When I was editing Doctor Who, I said, all stories must be called something of the something. <laughs> so we had Claws of the Clarthy, Invaders from... It had to be something and something. Um, and, you know, when you make editorial edicts like that, you deserve to be disobeyed. Simon's <laughs> sense of humor was always... Simon was always tweaking the people he works with because that's his sense of humor. And that's why, you know, he's he's written transformers for so long and you know he's he's become identified with you know his body of work from the 80s which of course is now held in great esteem um mm -hmm. by people like yourselves you know that's why there was a death's head omnibus last year and you know the dragon claws hardcover that came out from from panini you know is it panini you know the the company that does those um those mm. libraries Oh, um, oh, um, Hachette, Hachette. is it? Hachette. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. either Hachette, Hachette or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's nice that Dragon Claws is available in hardcover. I have it. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, um, and it's just a shame. I've never seen all this Action Force stuff reprinted, and it deserves to be. I'm sure IDW sure. may have printed some of it. Um, but it was they haven't actually. Um, it's it's something we've <clears throat> for for the Action Force book. We are in contact with Hasbro and IDW, and we were nudging them to try do it last year. Um, well, and we this were is a mistake you all make. Don't ask for permission. <laughs> do it and ask for forgiveness. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a. Was it Swedish or something like that? Put out a. Um, a, 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 Swedish, a, 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 a Swedish fan group did a reprint of uh, right. the Action Force comics, translated yeah. into Swedish. Um, yeah. Make it not, not a never profit. Been a... Uh, all profits go to Ukraine, and then they'll, <laughs> yeah, they'll yeah, look yeah, like yeah. shit if they um, <laughs> they can't argue. Don't be that guy. Yeah. 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 No, that's always uh, been my philosophy. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Absolutely. The the last creator, uh, the artist that I was going to spotlight on on the things that slides I've been sharing has been Staz Johnson. So uh, another uh, young whippersnapper when uh, when he started at Marvel. And I, and I never met him because by issue fifteen, I think that's August nineteen eighty nine. Um, I was living in uh, New York. I was oh, wow. working. I was working for Marvel okay. US. I was lettering. <sighs> what was I lettering? So many, so many comic strips that nobody read because I was doing things for Marvel Superheroes, which was a sort of anthology book. Um, oh, I was Deathlock. I did an issue of Deathlock. Um, yeah, I was. Uh, I moved to America in 1989, just after the first Action Force Monthly came out. That might be 1990. I'm not sure. Um, in 1990, I'd moved to California and. Have, I, I lived in California half my life. So um, Comic Craft was calling whether I knew it or not. Um, but all the, you know, all the work that I did, like I said before, I called it Marvel College. Because, <laughs> you know, I learned so much in such a short period of time. And, and as I was saying to you, I think that's a terrible cover, by the way. I don't know if you <laughs> that if you was. Um, 
but that that would not have passed me by but they were probably having to sell that toy range um, yeah yeah but, you know i, yeah, I remember that's, the, that's the cover where that year's toys <laughs> you know the cover where jeff popped the tank in the air you know that's the challenge how do you show most of the toy you know we had one coming down a waterfall or something or in the ice you want to show as much of the toy as possible and make it exciting yeah and the front uh, on the front on is a yeah it's not yeah, the most it's limiting um but also we had all these things about solid colors behind logos um robert sutherland would probably not have liked those peanuts on top of the logo i don't know what those are those <laughs> you know, they, they look tracer like fire i think yeah. yeah they look yeah yeah um but um you know a, a lot of the stuff that i learned goes into elephant men today you know and um you know there's a character in uh, Elephant Man called a vet who looks a lot like Lady J. Uh, <laughs> but but that's a sort of stereotype, the beret, the flak jacket, you know, the you know, the whole look of characters in G.I. Joe. Um I, I didn't realize till I moved to America, especially, you know, I have a friend who collects G.I. Joe toys. Um he's probably your age, maybe a bit older. He's younger than I am, but he collects everything um, and has a massive part of his home that he built himself. Uh, he's he's a police officer in uh, Arizona and a uh, lovely guy. Um, helps me out at Comic Cons. He's a big fan of comics, toys, original art, you name it. Um, and he has that emotional connection to the toys, you know. Um, so it, working at Marvel taught me an awful lot about storytelling, about working with franchises. And now I work with my own franchise. You know, if you want something to be um, successful, you, you have to learn the lessons that, you know, the reasons Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow are successful is because they're so freaking cool. <laughs> you, know? you, you react to them. You know, I've seen all but the last... I haven't seen the Snake Eyes movie because that came out during the pandemic. Yeah, that uh, was last summer, wasn't it? Summer last, uh, last August 2021. Year. But I, you yeah. know, my son Jet was obsessed with the Transformers movie and he wanted to see the G.I. Joe movies. So I went and, and you know, as an ed a former editor, you're like, oh, they did that. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's Snake Eyes, there's Storm Shadow. Oh, they've got all the right characters. You know, um, you know, the Transformers movies, which are very violent, I think they're very noisy, very they're Mi Michael Bay, right? Mm -hmm. um, but but watching the Transformers movies, you know, with that and the, and the best Transformers movie is Transformers the movie. Let's not let's not get that wrong. But when you see the Transformers movie, um, they do capture the characters. Optimus Prime, Bumblebee, mm. they capture them. We love Bumblebee. We couldn't have enough Bumblebee in the comic at all. Um, so you you develop an appreciation of bringing a toy line to life. And, you know, I always think that Elephant Men is a toy line waiting to happen. <laughs> you know, I've got a rhino. I've got a hippo. I've got uh, an elephant. I've got good-looking uh, female characters, strong good-looking female characters. There's a lot of strong uh, female characters in G.I. Joe. So 
you know, you, you can't help but look at your own work and see the influences. You know, I do another book for Amazon, uh, for Comixology, uh, called Ask for Mercy. And she is actually based on the character Yvette because Yvette was such a popular character, you know, a girl with a beret in France with a machine gun, right? And very popular character. And, and then I thought, I wish I could, I wish she was a central character. So I created this character, Mercy. Um, and again, Mercy, there's a character called Mercy in Dragon's Claws because I said to Simon, Mercy is a good name for a character. And she's in Dragon Claws. But I was like, wait, I thought that up. I'm taking that back. Right, um, and um, you know that character became. It's funny because at first I thought of it as a Doctor Strange book, but it's actually more of a Conan book because I loved Conan, and Conan was always swords and sorcery. And it took me three volumes of Ask for Mercy um, to realize that this was more of a sword and sorcery book than a Doctor Strange book. There's a quick plug there. There we go. Mercy, soon to be in print from Dark Horse Comics. These oh, are excellent. print-on-demand print comics. Um, but I, I do want to show you the only... I got this on Amazon. <laughs> and again, there's the background. There's the blistered mm -hmm. background. And Kev did that. This, this was... It, I must have sold this years ago, but... Um, I was really proud of this annual. It's reprint. It's G.I. Joe reprint. But that should have been the cover of issue one of Action Force. Um, we did that year we had on all the annuals, we connected them by doing Optimus Prime and Megatron or mm -hmm. Flint and Destro uh, and maybe Mumra and Lion-O. We, mm -hmm. we, we, we conspired again to, to, to give things a theme yeah cohesiveness yeah yeah and um i think john tomlinson did the design on this i was the editor and kev did the illustrations because i hated i hated it as a doctor who fan when they didn't use the artists from countdown and tv action or doctor who uh weekly i, I hated it when they did cheap annuals i was like we we know how good it can look what are you doing to us um, and I think my biggest regret is not putting the um, uh, the story from the annual Mike Golden. Uh -huh. We yeah, realized that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's such a beautiful looking book. I wish we'd put that in a hardcover instead. You know, mm -hmm. but but at the time it was like, what's the good material? Let's use the good material. Yeah. So but some that. that that annual, the main content of it was like a two-parter where the it's the creation of the Cobra Island story, isn't it? And, yeah. and it's it's a it's a great two-parter and it fits so well without it being divided up into the weekly format. So um, I, I love that. I love when that. I, when I sat down and read the 70 issues available at that time, I was taking notes because I, you know, <laughs> I had to if we did the annual, it was probably very soon after we launched. And the fact mm -hmm. that Kev did all the artwork means that it, it belonged to his era, you know? So mm -hmm. I can never remember timelines very well. I do remember working on the weekend on that with John. Um, so, you know, we were fans. Everything we did 
we did with love, even if we weren't big fans of G.I. Joe. We wanted to make something better, you know, mm -hmm. um, even though we were probably looked down on by uh, Marvel editorial in the U.S., and I guarantee we were, you know, it was it was a big struggle for me to work in the States. I had to work harder, um, partly because at the time I didn't have my green card. Um, mm. You know, I didn't really know where I was going to live. I didn't know I'd stay in the States. Um, so I, you know, I had to sweep the floor in terms of lettering when I started working. But but because I had to sweep the floor, I made sure it was spotless, you know, because I was held to a higher standard because the ed the letterers that had were continuously working there were taking their work for granted. And I, I couldn't. Otherwise, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have any work because I was the foreigner, mm -hmm. you know. So um, we, you know, we did everything with love. Actually, you know, I don't know if you guys are watching Moon Knight, but yeah, yeah. for some reason, I had to read 27 issues of Moon Knight on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we were looking at it for a backup strip for something. And I remember it because that's when I got my first migraine headache. And uh Three episodes into um, Moon Knight, I turned to my wife and said, I've got um, a migraine. <laughs> I think I've got a migraine coming up. This, this is just like reading the comic. Um, but, you know, we, we buried ourselves in whatever we were doing, whether even if it was Thundercats, you know, which, again, very difficult to work with. Um, you know, and and I'm very proud. That's that's why when I saw your bound copy, I was like, I want one of those. You know, I sold all my issues in the in the '90s, thinking mm -hmm. I'll be lucky to get any money for these. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you know, when I when I saw this, this was eleven bucks on Amazon. I was like, I really should have a copy of that because, you know, it's it sort of signifies a. A moment in time you know my, my, my friendship with kev my friendship with simon you know getting my first editorial assignment um you know working with steve yoll working with grant morrison golden memories you know who'd have thought yeah i mean all of these all of these people that that started out in in pages of action forces some of their very earliest work and the sort of the careers that they've gone on to on to forge it's um you know it's what a legacy well kev came out to see i think age of ultron premiere when i was in long beach it's 2015 and he and his wife got tickets because because of war machine because he co-created war machine and it's it was so funny because uh they came over we i think we ordered food in and then he said we're well, just gonna get the bus back to hollywood and i was like you're such a brit you don't get a bus back to Hollywood at eight o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night. It would take him three hours to, to make the changes, everything. He's like, Oh no, no, I can take the bus. I was like, Kev, you're not in London anymore. So I drove him to his uh, Marvel uh, um, expense paid hotel in Hollywood so that he could go to the premiere the next day. I hate to think what would happen to him on LA. Um. But, you know, we, we hung out for the day. Um, I took him around as much as I could because Brits come to L.A. 
thinking they can do everything in two days. They don't understand the traffic. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, you know, I'm still in touch with Dave Hine, who used to ink Kev. Uh, I, Dougie and I had a Zoom phone call recently. He did a, he did five page story for me for nice. Elephant Men, uh, which uh, was in one of the hero initiative comics, I think. So, you know, I feel very fortunate, especially, you know, Facebook keeps us all connected. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, I saw Simon and Jeff at the the London Derry or Derry. I don't know which one is right to say uh, convention a few years ago. Um, so it's, it's nice that we have all this, you know, all these memories to to laugh at. We've, we had a message in from Brian, who's uh, Paddy's co-conspirator on, on Send putting them together. To me, please. <laughs> so maybe I can reassemble a collection. It, it can happen. Uh, patience, patience, and a and a good uh, and a good uh, eBay watch. You know, well, notification I, is the this, is the key. This is how emotionally connected I am to a comic. I. And, I, and this was in the beginning days of eBay's when things were a lot cheaper. But I, re I recreated my whole Countdown TV action collection. And, you know, I tried to get the best copies. But I also recreated 10 years of looking. I have, <laughs> I have every issue from 1972 to 1982 of looking. Because that was, you know, Countdown and looking, because they had the Jerry Anderson strips, Space 1999, Michael Noble did some beautiful work for looking on Catwee, not Catweasel, uh, Wurzel Gummidge, Famous Five, not Famous Five, yes, Famous Five, um, Robin, Robin of Sherwood, all this beautiful artwork, John Bolton, you know, those are the artists I look up to, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the generation before all these guys I was lucky enough to work with, you know, and I, I've been fortunate to work with Brian Bolland on the killing joke, you know, um, Brian Hitch on Batman just recently, uh -huh. um, Tim sale on, for some reason, I, I've done a lot of Batman. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, there, there is a lot of Batman as well. <laughs> there is a lot of Batman, but there's an inordinate amount of Batman that I've worked on. Um, long Halloween killing joke, Batman's grave. Um, those are just the ones I can remember because they're the more mm -hmm. popular ones. But, um, you know, as a lettering artist, I've been very, very fortunate. But, you know, key to me was learning about creating your own comic, you know, which is what I've done for the past 25 years. Wonderful. And that's what I would encourage any up and coming comic book creator. Get your feet wet with franchise characters but then make your own franchise. That's, that was drilled into <laughs> yeah. me by John Wagner and Alan Grant on 2000 AD. And just yesterday, you know, Neil Adams passed away. And, and Neil was a big advocate for creator's rights going back yeah. to the 70s and mm -hmm. created his own characters too. You know, even though he's most closely associated with Batman and Superman and Green Lantern, mm -hmm. um, he was like, you know, he's part of the reason that, that there is any money paid to creators when they're brought to TV or movies, you know, and, and he got, um, he got a nice check when Batman begins came out. 
because I think it's Raz Al Ghul. Okay, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and that's right. You know, if, if there was a movie made on uh, of an action force story, Larry Harmer should get a big check. You know, um, because he brought those characters to life, and and that was yeah. the surprising thing when I read GI Joe. I was like, wait a minute, these this is good stuff. I can't use all of it, but I wish I could. I wish I could have run that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I just recently they did a reprint of Silent Interlude with a recreation of it with different artists. Have you seen that? Yeah. Uh, yes, some of our friends worked on it. So uh, yeah, uh, okay. artists and friends yeah. So. And I was like, oh, I don't have a copy of that. I better buy one. Yeah, it's quite. Uh, it's getting uh, hard to find. Yeah. It's getting hard to find already. Yeah, it's expensive and. Um, yeah, I do wish I'd kept my library of Marvel UK work, but um, there's only so much room on your shelves. And uh, a couple of my sort of final questions were: Was what was your relationship like with Hasbro as you were working on on the book? You've already sort of alluded to a couple of sort of frickiness yeah, about just, you can't do that. The, the thing that you remember when you get it wrong and they tell you off. Um, right, right. Otherwise, they were a dream because. They were they they supplied reference material. I don't remember a lot of toys coming to the office. I was going to ask: Is there was there a box of toys that went around artists? Because I think there was for for Zoids, so like a famous box that yeah, went we around. Yeah, we had a Zark in the office. I remember that. Crack. Um, Kev had a Zoidzilla, I think. But getting a hold of them was ridiculously difficult. It's like we're working for you. Tony. <laughs> Hasbro, send us some toys. Yeah. You know, and of course, the Christmas Optimus Prime was the desirable Christmas present. Everybody I knew was saying, can you get a hold of an Optimus Prime for me? No. <laughs> no. You work on the comic. Can't get one for myself. Can't get one for the artist. So photo reference was easy to get hold of, but not toys. So, yeah. S O L. Brilliant. Um, so I, th- I think we've we've taken up a lot of your time, and it, it's flown by. Um, I'd, uh, I'm sure. Oh that, my gosh! That, it's a nearly And I, I could. Keep, I think we could all keep on going as as well. Um, but it's been an absolute joy. I, I, it's really flown by, and it's, uh, it's. I feel very privileged to have got this insight into into all of these uh, early days. Because for you know, when this comic was coming out, and I had uh, a subscription to it at my local news agent, it was getting put through my door on a weekly basis. That was probably the you know the highlight of the week. It, it really was. So, um, yeah, That's nice to nice to revisit. You know, we, all, we all come from when you're a fan of comics. What you actually want to do is recreate the feeling you had when you were young reading comics, you know. So it's mm-hmm. always gratifying to know that we succeeded, even on titles that we thought had failed, you know. Um, but that t- comic probably failed selling about 70,000 issues. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a big joke that they cancelled tra- the U.S. Transformers. Issue 80 was selling just under 100,000. And in those days, Marvel's policy was if it's selling under a hundred thousand, cancel it. Yeah, now it would be probably a kill for that on X Men. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but then there was no digital media. There wasn't. There weren't 
omnibuses and collections. There weren't any trade paperback collections in those mm -hmm. days. We used to love doing the collected comics. I don't think we did any Action Force collected comics, but we did Ghostbusters collected comics. We did Zoids collected comics, and I wish we'd been able to do more of those. Perfect. So uh, I think, unfortunately, we, are, we have to leave it somewhere. So maybe we'll leave it, leave it there. Thank you so much, uh, Richard, for, for your You're time. Um, and yeah, do you want to leave one last plug? Where can people uh, find you? What should they be getting they from be you? Buy Elephant Men and ask for mercy <laughs> on Amazon and Comixology. Um, although the beef is one of my favorite things that I've written. Let me just quick, get quick, quick plug the beef. With Shaky Kane, oh yes, Shaky Kane, yeah. British creator. Also coming from Dark Horse next year, the Elephant Men uh, Comicsology series. That's volume one. Here's volume two, which has giant robots in it, because why not? Short, soon to be available via Kindle Print On Demand. There's a vet. That's the war story I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, she has red hair. How could that be? <laughs> so, and that's actually um, anybody um, who buys Shift. Are you aware of Shift? Uh, I'm it's not a sure. It's comic is. book magazine, and they're okay. serializing the event story. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen the stuff of this. Yeah, yeah. Shift features to the death by. Uh, yes, Simon yes, yes, Furman yes, and, yes. and Jeff Senior, and because I worked on that in a lettering capacity, I got to know Adrian, who's the publisher. And um, Elephant Men will start in Shift quite soon, so watch out for Perfect. that in, in oh, your really. local WH Smiths. Brilliant. Other news agents are, of course, available. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So thank you so much, for, uh, Richard. Uh, thanks for joining me, Paddy. And, it's a pleasure. Uh, we'll, and we will be talking with Paddy and Brian at uh, some point shortly. Um, to Paddy about... will get my address for those two issues of one, two. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure to help, to help them up. Great. Brilliant. All right. Okay. Here we go. Thank and much. here's the outro. Bye.